Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Just Stu and Baldy here tonight on a journey from Hyderabad to Adelaide and East London before we return to Aotearoa New Zealand while we review the week that was and look ahead to a full schedule of test cricket just around the corner. That's all coming up right after this. I'll pop a little swish in there for you, Stu, when I edit the podcast after, but that uh, intro was outstanding. Brilliant, brilliant. Sounds good. Baldy, uh, we've already had a few technical difficulties. It's, I, I have to say it's lovely to be uh, sort of communicating with you properly now. Long may that last. Uh, I, I'm worried that it might not, but look, I'm ready to travel around the globe with you. We've got a few series we want to look at tonight, so why don't we kind of start moving around in, in the order I listed them at the top of the show, which, which takes us to, to Hyderabad. Where since we recorded our England-India Test Series preview, obviously, of course, the top order put curse struck and, and Harry Brook and Virat Kohli, who we said would be key players in that series, we find out that both of them now are going to miss at least these first two tests for, for personal reasons. Curse jokes aside, it's really sad news both for the series, but, but more so for them as individuals. I mean, you know, we don't know what's going on for them. But I expect it's something serious. So, you know, I, I think from us and our point of view, you know, putting your health and family, your, your family's health first, I think is going to get a lot of respect from us. But, you know, Baldy, what impact do you think this is going to have on the test? It probably makes maybe some of those selections a, a bit easier. I think the the missing of, of Harry Brook and Virat Kohli makes some selection decisions easier for both sides, really, because it provides an avenue to answer the big question that we had hanging over us in our preview podcast, which was who's going to keep wicket and can they fit, uh, can either side fit Bairstow and Folks in for England and a combination of KL Rahul and or uh, Bharat or Dhruv, Dhruv Jurel for India. Those decisions are almost made for uh, each side on behalf of the the missing personnel. But it's going to be a real shame to have both Harry Brook and Virat Kohli missing. I think England don't miss as much having Bairstow in for Brook effectively or folks in for Brook as, as India perhaps miss out on the batting of Virat Kohli. Any side that loses Virat Kohli is going to be losing a lot of firepower. And, and he's really the key wicket in that Indian lineup. As we said in the South Africa series review, he looked a class above uh, everybody else who was out there, even if the results didn't show that. So huge outs for England and India. A real shame also for Shoaib Bashir, still battling visa issues to get across to India in time for that first test. And that may impact the balance of that uh, England, atta- uh, England spin attack. It sounds like, Stu, you were saying off air that England might go with three spinners and Joe Root. Did I hear that correctly? That That is correct. That's what people are saying. And, and so... I mean, yeah, you touched on Shoah Bashir before. I mean, gutting for him personally, I think if, if obviously this is, you know, his his debut series and for him to be having all of this off-field stuff is, is bad enough. But the fact that, you know, if they were going to go with three spinners, there, there's a chance that he was going to play make his test debut in, in this first test. And the fact that he's not there uh, and the fact that it, it sounds like, uh, you know, Rahul Dravid came up with the, the big nugget today that he expects it it will spin in India. Uh, so, you know, the the fact that in England are talking about playing Mark Wood, uh, you know, Jack Leach, Rian Ahmed and Tom Hartley as their bowling attack. Uh, I mean, I, I find that kind of stunning because uh, 
in in one sense, they've already got Joe Root, so they they've kind of got three spinners there to go on already if they want, and this would give them now four sort of serviceable spinners. And and uh, you know, Stokes said that he might even open with with Joe Root if Jice was out there because of the left-handed uh, matchup. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating. It'll, it'll make it extremely uh, extremely important, kind of how India approach those spinners, because if Rohit goes for them, if, uh, you know, if their batters come out with a really positive attitude against that spin, if they're able to get on top of them and there's only one seamer, it doesn't leave England very far to go in terms of what the the rest of their bowling attack could look like. You're absolutely right. And they also would then miss out on the skill of Ollie Robertson and or Jimmy Anderson if they bowl with three frontline spinners and Joe Root. I could just hear the words of Raj Reddy echoing around in my ears. If you can only bowl two spinners at a time, you certainly can't (laughs) bowl three and you definitely can't bowl four. So I think three frontline spinners and Joe Root, who is more than serviceable as a part-time option, I think is absolute overkill for England. But, you know, Baz knows way more than we do in terms of preparing his side in those conditions. So who are we to doubt the judgment of Bazball? But I think... If I was England going into the game, I would want to have someone in my squad, in my 11, who is able to reverse swing the ball and is able to use guile and craft like Jimmy Anderson can. And and he does it better than just about anyone else has in the history of Test cricket. So um, we don't want Jimmy Anderson having to bowl 100 overs in the Test match. That wouldn't be his role because you've got three spinners to be able to do that. Uh, But I think England will miss a trick if they don't have either Anderson or or Ollie Robinson in the side for that first test. But, you know, look, if it's going to spin, then you may as well stack your side with spinners. Absolutely. And, and look, that test starts in, in less than 24 hours' time, so we'll find out pretty soon. And, and as does another one in Brisbane between Australia and the West Indies. So I guess uh, rather than us sitting here making more predictions, why don't you talk to me about what happened in Adelaide? Convincing win for Australia in the end, all done in, in three days but it wasn't entirely plain sailing for this Australia side. No, not entirely plain sailing at all. I think Australia didn't play their best cricket in, in a lot of ways, particularly with the bat, uh, Travis Head, and maybe to a lesser extent, Usman Khawaja notwithstanding, but their bowling was was excellent again. Um, it ripped the heart out of the West Indies batting lineup at the top on in both innings. Uh, a surprising decision. Let's go back to the start of the game. Potentially a surprising decision to bowl first at Adelaide. It wasn't a day-night fixture, so uh, a bit of a change from tests in recent past. But traditionally, day tests in Adelaide have been bat first, big score, 450-plus in the first innings type of conditions. And then you set up the test match from there. Australia opted to go with a different tactic. It was, you know, eyebrows raised at the start of the test from from many but the decision to bowl first was absolutely correct from Pat Cummins and his men. Uh, the bowling, Hazelwood in particular, was outstanding. They made the best of the conditions. And, you know, Hazel just showed how classy he was. I think that's almost the best that Hazelwood has ever bowled in terms of, certainly in terms of results. Nine for, um, I think, puts him alongside Bob Willis as, as one of the highest wicket takers now without a 10 for. Um, but, yeah, he was outstanding, Josh Hazelwood. And Australia have done really, really well from a bowling perspective. Some question marks still around their batting. You know, Australia found themselves in a bit of a hole again, and it was only really Travis Head uh, and, to a lesser extent, Usman Khawaja that got them into a sustainable uh, first innings lead. And again, the bowlers dug them out of trouble again, had West Indies, you know, four for not many. And this time, 
were able to go on and bowl the West Indies out without a handy lower order, you know, ninth wicket, tenth wicket partnership to to steady the ship, uh, which happened in the first innings. Yeah, look, you, you touched on Travis Head there, and and I think uh, you know I, I think the top order curse that I mentioned before might have struck again uh, when we said that he looked for a big twenty twenty four, and I think as immediately after that podcast. He uh, he got a golden duck, and uh, you know I think Glenn Phillips actually did did the same, but only made small contributions throughout that Pakistan series. But I, I think his value to this Australia side was was absolutely on full display in that first innings. Team was in a bit of trouble: sixty seven for three, one hundred and twenty nine for five, one hundred and sixty eight for six. But the way he batted with the tail, I know that he had uh, he certainly had his luck. He you know chop you know was inside edging. He was you know flying the ball over the fielders in, in sort of the way he does, but counter-attacking his way to another Test 100 and, and securing a lead that looked very, very dicey at one stage, I, I think that was really, really important for Australia. And, and you know, you, you looked at Josh Hazelwood and think he's got nine wickets. He probably should be the man of the match there. But I actually do agree that Travis Head was the, the main con- contribution there and very much deserved his man of the match performance. Absolutely right, Stuart. I think the most important thing for Australia is that now with the structure of the middle order that they've got with no Steve Smith at number four, uh, with Cameron Green there, who's still finding his way in test cricket, Mitchell Marsh, who has been back in the side for a while, but plays a risk-taking role at, at number six. And then with Alex Carey, I don't want to say out of form, but his contributions haven't been what I think a lot of people expect from a a man of his talent. Travis Head's role in at number five takes on sort of quasi Allen Border-like proportions in that he really needs to hold the entire innings together for, for Australia in that middle order until we start seeing some, you know, consistent contributions and consistent big scores from the likes of Cameron Green, etc. Um, even Manus Labuschagne has had a bit of a lean trot so far this summer, and his average is starting to regress back towards 50 rather than continuing to head north towards that kind of 60 area. So Travis Head's role is super important in that Australian middle order. And what I was really impressed with, particularly in this innings, but in his play in general, is that he's able to go up and down the gears almost effortlessly. So effortlessly, he was able to play a particular gear when he was batting with established batters, he was a little bit more circumspect. He was quite happy to be the less dominant partner. But as soon as he started batting with the tail, he was able to take control of the innings. He was able to take ownership of the partnerships and really dominate the bowling attack from there. So, like, you're absolutely right. I'm a bowler. You're a bowler. I'm sure we'd like to give the man of the match to a bowler. Josh Hazelwood was almost played the game, the best game that he's played for Australia. He was that good and he really ripped the heart out of that West Indies top order in both innings. But, you know, that Travis Head innings, it's going to get a lot of credit because he's a batter and he got 100. But the way in which he batted for Australia is particularly important for them going forward. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, credit to Hazelwood, you know, five for nine wickets in the match, went past 250 wickets. He's been a model of consistency throughout his career. But it was actually, uh, you know, as much as uh, it turned into on paper a convincing win for Australia, I think the player that kind of won the hearts and and minds of uh, of everyone watching was Shamar Joseph. Outstanding debut. Everyone really embraced him. He's only played five first-class games. 
gets Steve Smith with his first ball in Test cricket, bounces out Manus, finishes with a five for in that first innings. You know, absolutely what dreams are made of. And and I think, you know, just showed kind of, we've talked about it a bit, right? Bowlers with that extra bit of pace in Australia really kind of can succeed. And he, he was able to exploit the conditions so, so well. You know, hit Usman Kawaja in that second innings, which looked really nasty, but, you know, got hit himself by by Mitchell Stark in the first innings. And, and you know, responded by, you know, really attacking those Australian bowlers, hit his first six in, in first-class cricket, which, you know, as you said, bowlers, we, we love, you know, being able to take those sixes as a as, as a bowler. But, you know, just a, a brilliant debut. And, and I think, I mean, we just keep saying it, right? There's so much talent in, in these West Indies players that we see. It's just a matter of getting them on the park and kind of, being able to get them on the park for long enough before they get snapped up by these T20 franchises and, and disappear from from the international game. Oh, look, you're absolutely right. Shamar Joseph absolutely won hearts and minds, as Amir Jamal did in the Pakistan series. We've been treated to some fantastic debuts from young fast bowlers in this Australian summer, and no no better, I think, than than Joseph and and Jamal. Man, they've they've been fantastic. Probably the best players respectively, in each of their sides uh, throughout the series so far against the West Indies, and definitely, for my mind, in the Pakistan series. Able to take Australia on, uh, Shamar Joseph had no fear of the Australian bowling attack. You know, they put together another 55 uh, 10th wicket partnership, uh, Joseph and Roach. So without that, West Indies will have been bowled out for 140 in the first innings and 120 in the second innings. So mm-hmm. his runs, 36 off 41, hugely valuable in establishing some credibility to that first inning scoreline, even though it was only 188. And yeah, like you say, his bowling was excellent. There's a lot about that guy. Uh, He's got tremendous rhythm. He looks like a lively character. And he looks like he's not afraid to take on the opposition uh, with their strength. He was able to take on the Australian bowlers. He nicked off Australia's form batters. He was just outstanding in this game, Shamar Joseph. And like you say, Stu, just another West Indian player that has come and burst onto the scene with tremendous talent. And like you say, let's hope that they continue to hold on to these guys uh, because if they can do it with consistency, they've got enough talent. As we saw with Taj Narayan Chanderpool, the last time we saw West Indies in Australia, he came of age a little bit. Uh, so it's about keeping those guys, getting them making good decisions, uh, getting them some consistency in the test game and hopefully building the nucleus of what can be a good test side going forward. Yeah, I really enjoyed Kirk McKenzie actually as well. Looked like a, a batter with a lot of time, simple, really simple sort of setup. You know, first fifty in, in his uh, only his his second test. We're off to Brisbane now for for the pink ball test in, as I said earlier, tw- you know, twenty four hours time. Josh Hazelwood kind of mentioned that uh, the bowlers struggled a little bit there with the hard surface and, and the ball getting soft. We'll see what happens this time around. But I guess if you could have one wish for for this Australian side. What would you like to see? Uh, you know, maybe it's a player or, or a team contribution uh, that you'd like to see from uh, one of the guys over in Brisbane. Well, I think if I was going to wish for things, I think I'd wish for some more runs from this Australian batting unit. I think in the course of this Australian summer, we've won four test matches, I think, but we've we've kind of glossed over the fact that Australia haven't really taken the the most of their opportunities with the exception of Warner's big hundred in that first innings in Perth. After that, 
Australia haven't really taken full advantage of uh, some pretty average bowling attacks, you know, Amir Jamal, Shaheen Shah Afridi, Shamar Joseph, you know, notwithstanding. There have been opportunities to really assert their dominance over the opposition, and they haven't taken those opportunities nearly well enough yet. Uh, there's There's been good batting conditions, and Australia haven't taken advantage of that. So if I was going to ask for anything, I would be asking those Australian top six, particularly Smith, Marnus, Cameron Green, those guys, to really take some ownership of this test match and make sure that even though the conditions might be tough for batting, it might swing around corners against the pink ball under lights in Brisbane, you know, uh, monsoonal type conditions might produce uh, some heavy humidity and some movement. I would be asking those guys to really take ownership of the Australian batting innings and put on a really big score and try and put in uh, the West Indies under enough pressure to maybe ask the question around following on or or something like that. That's what I would be asking for from Australia. I don't think we can ask any more than, than we have from Hazelwood and Cummins, but I would like to see Mitchell Stark at his best with the ball. I don't think we've seen the best of of Mitchell Stark again this summer, even though he's produced some unplayable deliveries. So I'd like to see some more consistency from Mitchell Stark. But look, here I am asking for more from a side that's that's ripped off four games from four and have really put the you know, the opposition under tremendous pressure. So um, I'm pretty happy with the Australian bowling performance and and you know, not perfectly happy with the batting, but, you know, it's it's kind of doing the job. It's doing enough to, to win games of cricket. And, you know, if you're a glass half full guy, what more can you ask for? But, yeah, that, that would be what I'm wishing for. Uh, you know, if I was the West Indies, what I'd be wishing for is some consistent decision-making outside off stump um, and to really get into a battle with Australia because they've got tremendous amounts of talent. They can hit the ball hard. They can make shots. You know, we saw... Um, plenty of talent in that West Indies side that played in that first first test. But, you know, they were outpointed by Australia because they just weren't able to make really, really good decisions around their off stump in that first five or six batters. You know what I've learned, Stu, and I know I've gone on a bit of a rant here, but I'm going to finish (laughs) shortly and we can move on to other things. I've learned that opposition really need to take Australia on like the tail enders do. Just go and smash Australia. Baseball Australia. Um, you know, as Josh Hazelwood said, the balls that they bowl to those top order batters, they're also sloggable balls. So why not go out and just try and smash it? Uh, what's the worst that could happen? You get bowled out for 188 again and the same thing, you know, the same result happens. But, you know, maybe the West Indies need to try something different and really take on Australia and be super positive because we've seen from Jamal's innings, we've seen from uh, the innings from Shamar Roach, that if you do take Australia on, you can get on top of them. And sometimes Australia don't have a tremendous plan B, C or D to counter that. So uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's something out of the box that the West Indies could do to throw a cat amongst the pigeons in Brisbane. I mean, I definitely agree with you about Hazelwood. In particular, I think if you just let him bowl to you, uh, you know, eventually he's going to get you because he's such a, a smart bowler. And Cummins probably falls into that category that when you just, when you don't attack them, when you just play them on their merits and they just run in and bowl that line in length, they're, you know, they, they, they just get the job done, which is exactly what they did in this test. While we are in Australia, it looks like we might get an Australian debut in the ODI series against the West Indies, which I'm I'm quite interested by. Jake Fraser McGurk, he's he's only young, but has had a pretty interesting career already, or memorable at least for me in, in terms of the headlines that he's produced. Scratched by a monkey in the uh, under nineteen World Cup, twenty nine ball hundred in in the Australian domestic uh, scene, runs in the IPL. Now he's at the IL T20 and uh, playing for Dubai. 
over there. I mean, it feels inevitable that uh, a player like him, we will see him, I think, in, you know, probably next season in the IPL and, and kind of doing the rounds of the T20 circuits with the way that he plays cricket, depending on what the future holds for him on the international stage. But how, how highly is he regarded in terms of the young cricketers in Australia? I mean, obviously pretty high that he's got uh, this this first selection, but you know, is he kind of the next big thing coming out of Australia? Oh, I think he's established himself now as as a player to watch uh, for Australia going forward. These going to be tremendous, uh, not pressure, but tremendous questions being asked now of what's the best makeup of Australia's side going into the T Twenty World Cup, particularly around that number five or six position. So there's lots of questions to be answered before we get to the T Twenty World Cup in June. I think Jake Fraser-McGurk, if he plays well in that ODI series against the West Indies or that white ball series against the West Indies, might play himself into a Caribbean flight uh, come June. Uh, so there's lots of questions to be asked, really, and it's exciting to see a young player burst onto the scene for Australia, which we haven't seen for a year or two, that's really going to put a lot of pressure on the established guys in that T20 lineup. Because I think that that Australian T20 batting lineup is ripe for a bit of uh, a bit of a shake-up, uh, a bit of a fresh uh, fresh fresh personnel in there, uh, particularly if you're in the squad, having a young, exciting guy like that being able to call upon. But yeah, lots of lots of white ball cricket to be played between now and then. For, for me, I don't want to put too much in terms of expectations on the guy. I'd like to see him enjoy his cricket uh, as he goes around the world, earning that opportunity to play in those white ball series in uh, Dubai, hopefully maybe a, a, a series against the West Indies as well. So those are the kinds of things I think we'll be looking for for him. But yeah, he's certainly one that's emerged, not just this year, but over the last couple of years, he started to emerge as an exciting prospect for Australia in white ball cricket. And uh, just finally in Australia, BBL final tonight, possibly by the time we get this podcast out, the, the, the final might be underway or or, uh, or possibly even, even done. Someone else has been lighting up the BBL at the moment. A, a word on uh, Josh Brown, is it? Yeah, Josh Brown, uh, Brisbane guy, plays for, I think he plays for Sandgate, maybe North. He plays in the local Brisbane competition. He's a bat maker, um, so not to name drop, but uh, the guy who he's a bat maker for, I used to play uh, grade cricket with uh, back up in North Queensland. So they're a bat maker for the Cooper Cricket brand now, uh, and they've tr- achieved uh, tremendous uh free plugs uh, on the back of Josh Brown's tremendous form. Uh, but yeah, sort of name dropping and, and bat maker sponsorship opportunities aside, hi Rod, uh, we're available for sponsorship <laughs> here on the Top Water podcast. If you're listening. Um, yeah, he's been tremendous. Actually, he burst onto the scene last season. I think he made a 60-odd off about 25, 30 balls uh, when he burst onto the season last year in limited opportunities and has made every post a winner this year. And I think it was only a matter of time until he really um, you know, got going and got a really, really big score. And it's just fortunate for the Brisbane Heat that he got a really big score in that eliminator final that puts them now up against the Sydney Sixers tonight uh, in the in the big dance. So, yeah, I couldn't let you get away without uh, a bit of a Brisbane Heat shout-out and also a local connection shout-out as well uh, for Josh Brown, who's been tremendous, as has Spencer Johnson as well. I think it's probably easy to overlook the fact that Spencer Johnson has has produced some tremendous spells for Brisbane over the course of this uh, heat campaign. And he's, uh, he's looking every inch the, uh, the international cricketer in waiting as well. Oh, very good. And, and no, no need to apologize for, for the shout outs. I'm going to take us back home to New Zealand here very, very shortly. I think just before we get there, a quick detour to the under 19 world cup and over in 
South Africa. Fascinating game uh, here for, for the New Zealand side overnight against Afghanistan. Uh, I was watching it last night. Uh, Matt Rowe, if, if anyone hasn't seen the highlights, get on, get on uh, and, and try and find some because Matt Rowe pulled out some of the, the best deliveries you'll ever see. Some absolute peaches, balls flying, stumps flying all over the place against Afghanistan. And I went to bed thinking, you know, bold, bold Afghanistan out for, for 90, 91, job done only to wake up and see that Roe actually came out at number 11 to hit the winning runs to scrape past that 91. And, you know, after a, a bit of drama beforehand with a, a run out at the non-strikers end for, for that ninth wicket, which has created a, a bit of a stir. And I mean, generally, generally, actually, I don't really care about mancads. It's not something that I kind of get all wound up about, but I, I didn't really like the style of this one. This was kind of the ones where the batter's just staring down the wicket, not really, they're not trying to gain an advantage. They're just not watching the bowler. And, uh, you know, bowler stops, waits a second till uh, I think it was Schroeder who'd, who'd walked out of his crease and, and then broke the stumps and, and uh, you know, claimed the dismissal. So didn't quite enjoy that. But obviously, Australia, uh, New Zealand doing enough to, to get the W and make it two from two after, uh, you know, a, a decent win against Nepal, a big, hundred, big daddy hundred for Snehith Reddy. Uh, kind of get help them get across the line on that one. And uh, I guess for our New Zealand listeners, a, a big game against Pakistan on Saturday night, New Zealand time. I think they'll have to tighten up parts of their game to to be strong in that. But we're over over to the tests now here in New Zealand. Test squad, I think, for the, the Black Caps is due to be named on Friday. So we're recording this Wednesday night, New Zealand time. Before we kind of talk about the New Zealand squad and what, that might look like and, and, and expectations from the series. I'm interested to get your view, Baldy, on uh, there's been a lot of talk around this series and, and the South Africa side and, and all of that kind of stuff. Does How much does that take away from the series for you? As uh, uh, I mean, I was going to call you a neutral. You you sometimes do uh, you know say we when you're talking about New Zealand, so maybe you're not as neutral as, as I think you are, but are you certainly more neutral than I am. So, so how much does it take away from this series that South Africa are essentially bringing, uh, you know, a B or you could even call it a C side over here to compete in this test series? Look, it's it's disappointing on on many levels, and we won't get into the the larger macro issues around challenges with scheduling and financials around test cricket. But we're starting to see the impact of that being felt by everyone involved with the game by the players who are playing in the SAT20 that I'm sure would love to pull on uh, the the green cap and play for the Proteas and represent their country in test cricket, who many still regard as the pinnacle of the game. Um, it's a shame for South Africa as a cricket organisation who have to schedule games in that way and prioritise franchise cricket to keep cricket alive financially in South Africa. And it's a shame for the players who both miss out on that test series and also the ones who come here, because as you say, that team has been um, marked as a, a B-side, a C-side. I called it the D-generation tour a couple of weeks ago here on this podcast. So those players who are coming uh, are on a hiding to nothing. You know, Neil Brand is going to captain his country, having never played for his country before, which happens very, very rarely in international cricket and hasn't happened, I don't think, in almost 30 years. So it's a real... Uh, disappointment all round that this is the scenario that we're faced with. And I, I feel for the players on the tour, to be honest, because 
they're going to want to put in. They're going to have passion for the jersey. They're going to have pride in, in wearing the protea on their shirts and wearing that green cap for their country. But in the back of their mind, they will they will be feeling like, yeah, well, we are not the preferred options. Um, that can galvanise a team. You know, that can galvanise a team into better performance uh, than they otherwise would have been capable of if they adopt that kind of us versus their mindset and they, you know, adopt a, a bit of a siege mentality. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I just really feel for the for the players involved and, and to a lesser extent for the fans, you know. Um, fans are asked to pay good money to go in to watch cricket games, to watch test cricket. We want people to want to go and watch test cricket. And when we're not able to put the best side on the park, can you imagine a series where Marco Janssen, um, Gerald Kutsia, Lundi and Gidi, you know, Kagiso Rabada, and that batting lineup that was so dominant in the in the 50 over World Cup, we get one of two of them come over here and play some baseball like cricket. That would have been a real watch. You know, that would have been a real great contest uh, for New Zealand fans. But as it is, I think, you know, we're going into this test series with a heavy expectation that New Zealand are going to win and win comfortably. New Zealand players are on a hiding to nothing because if they do, that was what we expected of them. If they don't, questions are going to be asked. So, you know, there's there's really not a lot of positive that you can take out of this scenario. Oh, I, I think that last point that you made is huge. I think there's huge pressure on New Zealand going into this series in, in terms of the way that, you know, yeah, they're going to be not, not just at home, but all around the world, people are going to be watching this series uh, at least, you know, kind of watching the scores and expecting New Zealand to com- win convincingly. And if they don't, they're going to be panned around the world for for not being able to put away a South Africa side that everyone, you know, thinks shouldn't be on the field. So, yeah, look, from a New Zealand point of view, I guess that side of things is quite interesting to me. I'm, I'm fascinated to see sort of how they respond to that pressure and, and how they go about trying to, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they get the job done and, and respond to, uh, you know, respond to this pressure and, and make sure that they do the business. I, I think from a, a team point of view, it sounds like Kane Williamson will be fit and, and Tom Blundell is probably the bigger concern. It, it feels like, uh, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves that they're pretty seriously considering using Tom Latham as the keeper. And, you know, as much as I've just said, you don't want to try and take other sides lightly in, in terms of what this uh, South Africa side is, I would just love to see them. Uh, you know, you gave a personal plug before, played a bit of um, many years ago, you know, played a, a bit of club cricket with Cam Fletcher and, and know him a little bit personally. So I, I would love to see him get a go. I think he's done his apprenticeship for a while now in the New Zealand A squad. And I think I would just love to, to see him, you know, New Zealand, I suppose, used this opportunity to bring in a player who, uh, you know, is inexperienced and bring in a player who probably is only going to get the one test when Tom Blundell returns. So I think it's the perfect opportunity to, you know, around a balanced squad to bring in someone and give a wicketkeeper a go. And, and look, even if it isn't Cam, it's, you know, maybe a Dane Cleaver who someone else is in the mix and again who has been in and around the setup for a long time. So I, I think it's a perfect opportunity to bring someone like that in if they uh, if it turns out that Blundell is not fit enough. Yeah, certainly there's opportunities that are open to New Zealand. Um, I have a couple of questions for you, Stu. We talked about pressure. There's been talk of a couple of guys 
you know, having their spots maybe uh, under a little bit of pressure for a little while now. Uh, so a guy like Henry Nichols comes to mind. I think this is a huge series for him. I think it's a huge series for him to be able to consistently make runs for that team um, and establish, re-establish his place in the side in terms of being a long-term option for New Zealand. I think that's a, a real question mark for New Zealand fans as much as anything else. So if he can answer those questions with some beginnings, then that's that's great for him. Uh, the one I really wanted to ask you about was Devin Conway. We talk about Devin Conway a lot on this podcast. Uh, we're all big Devin Conway fans. Uh, we, we put him on a big plinth um, and, and treat him as, as a superstar. And he is a superstar. But the question I've got to really ask at the moment is his form hasn't been tremendous of late. He's, he's established the fact that he's human rather than superhuman. Is there a concern over Devin Conway going forward, do you think? Is this series a pressure series for him? Am I concerned about Devin Conway? Look, it's it's not a question I, to be honest, I ever thought we'd be considering that the way that he started his international career, the way he, you know, dominated first class cricket in, in uh, for so long before he even reached the international stage. But look, you're fair to point it out because he's had I think 16 or 17 innings now across all formats in, in terms of. Uh, international cricket and domestic cricket now without a 50. So, you know, for, for someone who has been as prolific as him, it's uh, it's certainly a lean run of form. And, you know, does he look out of form? I don't know. There's, there's a few sort of things that um, probably aren't going quite right. But he's also, you know, when you look at every single innings, he's had innings where he's just been hitting the ball fine, but hit it straight to a fielder or he's, you know, made a bad decision and, and hit it straight up in the air or he's played a rash shot or, you know, he's been caught down the leg side. He doesn't, you know, he looks like he's on the verge of someone who could score a lot of runs. He, you know, in the, the final few games of that Pakistan T20 series, he unfortunately had COVID and, and had to miss a couple of games there where, you know, I guess in an ideal world, he, he hits a few boundaries and he's kind of away again. But, you know, you asked, well, I think I asked you before about, you know, wishes for the Australian second test against West Indies. I think if I could, you know, wish for anything from this New Zealand side in the South Africa series, I, I think it would be Conway runs and you know uh, probably a, a hundred, a, a, you know, and a, a big score because, like you said, he seems human now. You know, he seemed like a, a cybernetic or organism before, but you know, now he seems human, and and that's a bit worrying for us as New Zealand fans. Yeah, it's an interesting point you you make, Stuart, about. You know, potentially giving someone like Cam Fletcher an opportunity through injury. Do you think this is maybe an opportunity given the, and I don't want to use the quality of the South African touring side as an excuse here, and I'm normally not one to hand out cricket caps willy-nilly, but do you think that there's potentially an opportunity here for New Zealand to give Ruchin Ravindra a chance at the top of the order, for example, or to give a bowler like Blair Tickner or maybe Ben Sears, someone like that, a run in this test series and see what they're capable of at test level with an eye to the future. Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting point about, uh, you know, looking to the future. And, and I, I mean, I said it before, I think New Zealand have to go out and, and get the job done pretty convincingly in this series. Otherwise uh, there's going to be some questions asked. We've also got what, what is massive for us as New Zealand fans and, and feels like it's going to be massive on the, the New Zealand landscape, an Australian tour coming up after this so New Zealand players are, and you know 
as individuals and I think as a team are going to be wanting to go into that series with some form. They're going to one, the players are going to want to be in, involved in that series. So I think anyone who's on the fringes is going to want to perform and perform well and make sure they're there. I think the, you know, Mitchell Santner was talking about it in terms of the T20 series and how exciting that that prospect was. And we've seen, you know, full crowds even for this Pakistan T20 series. And I think Australia will be no different. And we're sort of hoping that we see the same things in terms of the test matches when they come. But I think, you know, there's a few ways I can answer that. When when I mentioned before that I think uh, I'd love to see Cam Fletcher or, or Dane Cleaver or someone like that get an opportunity with the gloves... I think that uh, when I consider the other option is that they give Tom Blundell the uh, Tom Latham, sorry, the, the gloves if Blundell is not fit. I think that would potentially open up a possibility of you know moving Latham down the order and moving uh, you know bringing in someone like Ravindra to open the innings. But I think in reality we're probably going to see Henry Nichols again, which, you know, it's going to upset people. People aren't, you know, he's certainly not flavor of the month anymore in, in the New Zealand test side. And, um, you know, he looked at all at sea in Bangladesh. He didn't exactly do himself any favors over there, but look, to be honest, most of the New Zealand batters did, but he has been in good form in the super smash, which obviously is not a comparison to test cricket, but look, it's the only form guide we have to go on. And, and he does perform well at home. So look, I think that they will, go with Henry Nichols probably in terms of the batting and that will restrict the options for bringing in someone like Rachin Ravindra, giving other batters, I suppose, a go because I think Phillips will prob- has probably done enough to be the, uh, you know, the bowling all-rounder. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard. It, like you say, I don't think this New Zealand side is in the, is, is in the uh, mood to be just handing out caps because the South African side is supposedly not not full strength and, and a side that they should beat. I think they'll want to go into this tour looking to think we want to absolutely put a marker down and, and get in great form for, for this Australian test tour because it's a tour that we really want to contribute and perform well in. And, you know, on the bowling side of things, I think there are guys that have points to prove. And, and one of them in particular is Neil Wagner. You know, he showed... Last season, he's he's still capable of those magic moments. The spell to to win the test against England at the Basin is kind of the prime example. But, you know, he's someone that also looked more hittable than ever. So, you know, I, I know he's got the drive to keep going and, and he's going to want to be in that part of that Australia series. So, you know, I, I don't think any of those players, you know, assuming that Kyle Jameson is back fit and we've got Tim Southey, who's the captain of that test side now, and, and Matt Henry, they're all going to want to be there, and I, I don't think they're going to be very happy if suddenly someone comes and, and takes their cap. So, yeah, I just I just don't think it's going to happen. Baldy, that was a, a big rant from me, but I think if uh, if people are, are watching the video and, and listening to the audio, they might have just sort of gathered a, a hint of difficulty that we're having here on online today it's uh, it's been a bit of a challenge so I think it's probably a, a good time to to wrap things up we will be back uh, you know in your in your feeds I mean kind of non-stop as these tests um, uh, tests continue it's it's going to be great viewing we're so so excited this uh, India England series starts tomorrow we've got Eng- in uh, Australia West Indies and then New Zealand South Africa which starts 
on the 4th of February, it's lovely to be talking about a diet of test cricket for the next five, six weeks. And we just can't wait here at the top order. So stick with us. Most likely we'll all be back in person uh, for the mo- for the majority. And uh, we won't have to battle against these, these technical difficulties as we have done tonight. But for now, let's leave it there. Thank you very, very much for listening. We really appreciate all the support and uh, and all your time spent listening to us. We'll be back very soon. Good night.